Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Tonight we're going to go straight into our assignment because I, I have a lot of ground that we need to cover and I want us to recognize that God's up to something. We're daddy's girls. The, the Heavenly Father has gathered us here together because he has specific adjustments to make in our life, things to impart and to deposit in us that will strengthen us and enable us to be overcomers in every situation and to walk in the victory that's ours in Christ Jesus. We're never victims because he's already established us in the victory. The victory that Jesus won wasn't for him. It was for us. We were the ones who needed the victory. And so he established that victory so that we could live every day of our lives in that victory. And the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so the word of God produces the faith of God in our spirits, enabling us to walk in the victory every day of our lives. And one of the things that we recognize is that we are alive unto God. We're spiritual because we're born again. And when we're born again, our spirits are made alive. And before that time, before we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we were living, but we weren't spiritually alive. We were physically alive, but the Bible says that we were dead in trespasses and sin. So he was talking about the spiritual condition of our lives. But the day that we accepted, the moment that we accepted Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, the life of God came into our spirits and we became alive unto God, making us spirit, spiritual children of God, spiritually alive, able to communicate with God, able to have the relationship with God that was limited before the blood. But now that the blood of Jesus has been shed and new, the new life is available, we can have the relationship with God that he desired. That new life is where we're supposed to live from. But before that, before our being born again, we were accustomed to living out of our, our mind, living out of our emotions, living out of that soulish realm. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in this physical body. This physical body is not who we are, and our soul is not equipped to lead us in the victory that's ours in Christ. Our soul is not equipped to live in that overcoming, born-again, more-than-conquering lifestyle that God designed us for. So we can't live out of our soul anymore. We've got to become skilled in living out of our spirit, our born-again, the people we are in Christ. 
And it's important that we know the difference because if you come to the altar, receive Jesus as Lord, get cleansed, washed, and you're free, but then you go out and you try to live the way you were living before, out of the mind, out of the will, out of the emotions, just living the way that you were, uh, does, you were, you were practicing before you received Jesus then it will become frustration, and it will become cold. It will become difficult. It will become something that is hard because your soul isn't equipped to walk in the victory. So you've got to know, okay, because I've been changed, I've got to change the way I live. I've got to change the way I respond to things. I can't respond just out of the way I've practiced all these years prior to receiving Jesus. Now I've got to live out of the who I am in Christ, the who I am according to this new life. And so you've got to have a Bible because you won't even understand what you can do with you without the manual. I mean, you are so recreated in the image of God and in um, fearfully and wonderfully made that your mind can't even figure out how to do what you what you are going to to experience in Christ so the word of God brings light to us and we walk in the light of that word and we begin to see that I am not who I was, I'm not what I did, I'm not the things they said about me, I'm not the things they did to me, I am a new creature, old things are passed away, the woman I am today is a woman who never existed before, this woman is a woman made in the plan of God, made in the image of God, and I am free from the shame of my past, I'm free from the condemnation of my past, and you've got to practice the new you so that you can walk in the freedom that's available to you in the new you. And one of the things that we've got to recognize as people who have the life of God living in us and the ability to live that life, but we still have the soulish realm, we've got to recognize things that come in during our natural life, during our everyday 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week, 365 days in the year, we experience things. We experience feelings and, and uh, um, different uh, spiritual things, and sometimes it's just fleshly things. And we've got to know, okay, wait a minute. Just because that comes doesn't mean that it has uh, access just because it comes knocking doesn't mean I have to let it in just because it comes against me doesn't mean that I'm a victim to it I've got to practice that victory that's mine and learn how to resist those things and to do that we've got to have spiritual strength the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are to be strong in the Lord to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to be strong in the Lord is more than what a lot of people think because they think it's just that outward demonstration of might, that outward demonstration of strength. But God wants us to be strong in his character. He wants us to be strong in the forces that are the spiritual forces the, the most important thing for a believer to establish even in the beginning of their walk with God is how to live out of the fruit of the Spirit. 
how to live governed by love, how to let love govern the way I think, the way I talk, the way I respond to people, the way that I I uh, judge people. I've got to. You, when you start judging people through the love of God, you'll never find yourself in the sitting in the corner because God has to put you in time out. If you'll learn to, to look at everybody through the love of God, amen, if we'll learn how to let the peace of God be a vital force in our life, and if we'll learn how to be skilled in the joy of the Lord. And I think uh, this area of joy is one that so many people are are leaving major components of joy out of their life because they only experience joy when something happens. They only access the joy when they're responding to an event. And that's, the, that's one aspect, but just a very minor aspect. The joy of the Lord is the, is the battery charging Station for the believer's life because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we never have to live a weak day in our life. You never have to be weak. You can every day get up and charge your batteries in the joy of the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, and deal with everything. And everything you deal with naturally affects you spiritually and everything you're equipped with spiritually is designed to overcome what you deal with naturally. I'm going to say it again if I can remember what I just said. Everything you deal with naturally affects you spiritually, but everything you're equipped with spiritually is designed to put you over, to overcome those natural things. So if you... If you let that natural situation drain you, if you let that natural situation or even even difficulties, things that are piling up in your life, I'm talking about piling up heaviness, piling up worry, piling up of of the cares of this life, piling just just cuz the enemy doesn't usually come in Especially if you've been walking in the word for a while, he's not going to come in in a frontal attack against you and just bam, throw it on you. Normally, he comes in just a little bit over here and just a little bit over here and just attacking you from this side, a little bit of pressure over here, got this situation bringing worry over here until you find yourself weighed down. And that then begins to drain on you spiritually it begins to pull on your spiritual supply and every day is a faith day right pastor wrote the book every day is a faith day every day you're using your faith and every day you're using all of your spiritual strength so if you allow those natural things to become so much that they are draining and draining and pulling and pulling and withdrawing and withdrawing and withdrawing until you find yourself spent. You can love God and be spiritually spent. You can be saved to the bone and be spiritually spent. You can be someone who knows Scripture 
you attend church, but if you have allowed these things to drain and to drain and to withdraw and to withdraw until you are weak spiritually, then that does, just because you are saved and attend church and own a Bible and know how to quote it doesn't mean you're strong. He said, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, right? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. In other words, if you have joy, we'll see it on your face. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. By sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. What does that mean for my spirit to be broken? We're talking about things that drain you. We're talking about we've got to guard our heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4 tells us, for out of our heart flow the issues, the forces of our life. And he says that the sorrow of the heart causes a breakdown spiritually. The CSB translation says, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. The CEV, complete English, says sorrow can crush you. The easy to read says, if you are sad, your spirit feels defeated. And the message Bible says, a sad heart makes it hard to get through the day. <laughs> makes it hard to get through the day. Why? We're talking about spiritual strength. For us to allow the emotions that drain spiritual re reservoirs is unwise. That's unwise for us to recognize there are emotions, there are things that I could yield to, thoughts that I could yield to, that I could allow to, in, to, to, to be entertained in my mind that would take me over to a place that's going to pull out and withdraw that spiritual energy so that it makes it hard to get through the day. So do you see one of those areas, it's coming in through a soulish area, but where's it affecting? It's affecting the strength and the condition of my spirit, and out of my spirit are the forces that I need for victory. Out of my spirit are the forces I need to deal with the situation according to who I am in Christ. For, for a person to exercise authority and, and, and resist the sickness or resist the, the lack or resist the devil uh, attacking their mind, that fear attacking their mind, for them to resist it, they need spiritual strength. But if they've wasted it all on these other things that are withdrawing from them, that are draining them, then they're going to find themselves at a disadvantage. But not us. Because God brought us here tonight to equip us with the knowledge for us to recognize. I, you better recognize. I recognize what that's coming to do. I recognize what that situation is trying to cause me. 
And, and especially when we deal with things like loss of loved ones or, or uh, situations where maybe a person lost their job or something like that, we've, they've got to recognize this, is, this will affect me more than just the natural thing that has happened. I've got to take a hold of the spiritual condition of my life and I've got to ensure that I am strong. By building myself spiritually. The Luke 21, let's look in the amplified version of Luke 21 and verse 34. Luke 21, verse 34, Jesus is teaching. He's talking about things that are going to happen in the last days. And he begin and he gives us this instruction in the middle of talking about the the dangers and the turmoil and all of the wild things that are going to happen. He said, you take heed to yourselves and you be on guard lest your hearts... Now, Jesus never taught about a physical heart. Whenever we see Jesus using the term heart, he's always talking about the spirit of man. So it would be appropriate for us to to keep in mind that he's referring to our spirit. I understand that there can be a dual application, that it can affect people, and people can have heart attacks because of stress that comes on them. But that is, while that is very serious, what's even more serious is for you not to have any spiritual strength. So he says, you take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts... Be overburdened and depressed. Weighed down. I'm going to just stop right there. It goes on and talks about the three different things. It talks about self-indulgence. It talks about drunkenness. And then it talks about worry. But I want us to just look what he said here. It's possible. And he was talking to, to his disciples, right? He was talking to his disciples You be on your guard so that your heart doesn't get weighed down. You be on guard because that's that's your your territory to guard. That's your responsibility. God's not going to do it for you without you. He'll help you, but he won't do this against your will. He's not going to guard your heart if you're choosing to allow all kinds of care to be deposited in it. He can't. It's our, it's our responsibility. We've got to guard it. We've got to recognize, wait a minute. What's the most vital thing is that I'm strong spiritually because everything in my life, every promise, everything I'm standing for, for the restoration in my children, for financial increase, for whatever the, the increase in the ministry, whatever it is that I'm standing for needs my spiritual strength. Amen? So he says, you take heed to yourselves. Be on your guard so that your hearts are not overburdened and weighed down. So it's possible for us to resist that. It's possible for us to never have our hearts overburdened ever. Ever. No matter what happens, no matter what's piled up at your door, it doesn't have to get in to your heart. It doesn't have to be laid upon and burdened down your heart. 
Hallelujah. No matter what, he says it's possible for us to be on our guard and not permit this to happen. How are we going to do that? Before we go, let's look at, at some, another aspect of this. Proverbs 18, 14, also in the Amplified. And we'll put the Amplified on the screen. Proverbs 18, 14 says, The strong spirit of a man or woman sustains him. Sustains him whether it's in bodily pain or trouble. So when trouble comes, what do I need? What's going to sustain me? A strong spirit. The strong spirit is what's going to sustain me when trouble comes. But a weak and broken spirit. So can I have either? Is it possible for someone to have a strong spirit or someone else to have a weak spirit? It says a weak spirit, who can raise up or bear? Who can raise that person up if they're spiritually weak? That's the, that's the more important problem. That's the more dangerous condition. Because what's going to bring health to the physical body, or even it says trouble, what's going to bring victory to my situation is going to come out of my spirit. Out of my spirit flow the forces of victory. Out of my spirit flows the forces of life. So the victory I need is coming out of my spirit. The healing I need is spiritually deposited already in me. It's already in my account. How do I get it out? I need a strong spirit. A strong spirit will sustain a person in physical challenges or in other troubles, financial trouble, marital trouble, trouble in the family, trouble on the job, whatever trouble it is, my strength of spirit is what's going to see me through it. And everything's easier to deal with when you're spiritually strong. Everything is a, a, a drawn out and difficult when we are spiritually weak. Hallelujah. The Message Bible says a healthy spirit conquers adversity a healthy spirit conquers adversity but what can you do when the spirit is crushed and the wayman says a person's spirit can sustain him in sickness but who can endure with a broken spirit so we see enduring is difficult overcoming is difficult it's hard to even raise that person up what can you do when that person's spirit is weak, when that person's spirit is broken. So how do we resist this heaviness? How do we resist this sorrow? How, what is one of the most important ways to guard our heart? Isaiah 51.11. Isaiah 51.11 tells us how we move. This is our, this is our description. Hallelujah. It says, the redeemed of the Lord. Do I have anybody redeemed of the Lord tonight? The redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing. Singing. Come with singing into Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head. Everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain Gladness and joy. When are they going to obtain the gladness and the joy? When they come with singing and the everlasting joy shall be upon their head. The word everlasting means perpetual. 
throughout your whole life. Of course, we aren't ever going to die because we live with God. We may exit the physical body and go by way of the grave, but we'll continually be with the Lord. So everlasting, eternal, perpetual. But when it says upon their head, it's referring to the anointing. And Hebrews 1.9 identifies that Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness. Jesus is not a sad man. He was the man of sorrows for just a moment. But in the, in the perspective of eternity, it was just a, a, a small moment in time. He is anointed with the oil of gladness. And that oil, that anointing oil is representative of what breaks the yoke. The anointing of God breaks every yoke. Everything that ties, everything that binds, everything that produces bondage, everything that holds a person down, that limits their victory, the anointing upon the head is an anointing of joy. He is the head We are the body. The anointing on him is upon you. You have access to the oil of gladness because your head, Jesus Christ, he's anointed with the oil of gladness. And that anointing breaks the depression. And that anointing breaks that heaviness. That anointing resists that sorrow. Hallelujah. It's an anointing or an oil of gladness. So in the rejoicing, there is liberty. In the rejoicing, there is that freedom. In the rejoicing, in that acting on and accessing and activating the joy of the Lord, I am releasing that anointing into the situation. I'm releasing the joy of the Lord to be a resistance against that sorrow. That's how it says, when we do this, they shall obtain gladness and joy in the singing, in the everlasting joy, accessing that anointing that's upon our head, we'll obtain the gladness and joy. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen when this gladness and joy come into your life? Sorrow leaves. no No fight on your part. You don't have to fight it. It's not something you got to struggle with. You don't have to knuckle down and, and push through and I'm, I'm just, I'm fighting it and I'm just, I'm fighting. No, just, just give your attention to him. Just begin to sing. Just begin to rejoice. Just begin to get in the flow of the anointing of gladness and the whole atmosphere changes. I mean, there's a supernatural atmospheric change that takes place. Your house doesn't feel like the same house. Your car doesn't feel like the same car. You walk into your your workplace and and everything looks different in your life. Why? Because the anointing has been upon your head and that atmosphere has changed and the sorrow had to run. The sorrow runs. It flees. It says sorrow and sighing will flee. Now we're, we're the ones responsible. We've got to check for this. We've got to look in our lives and we've got to say, do I catch myself going, Sighing. (sighs) When my husband does that, 
I just like, oh, have mercy. Right? You, but can you catch yourself? Don't go catching your husband doing it. Don't go, what was that sighing all about? No, you catch yourself. You catch yourself. Am I sighing? Am I frustrated? Am I banging the pots and pans? Like, what's going on in there? You didn't even realize that you slammed that pot down that hard, did you? That you just kind of tossed it into the sink. Right? Didn't even notice that, right? When you catch yourself in those, in those sighing moments, in those moments where you were just going to take one bite of that cake that's on the counter and you find yourself half the sheet cake later, when you catch yourself in those positions where you're just like don't want to turn on the lights and you just want to roll over and go, just catch yourself and say, wait a minute. This is heavy in my life. This heaviness in my life is trespassing. It's not supposed to be here. I'm a child of the most high God. I am a king's daughter. I am washed in the blood of Jesus. I am more than a conqueror. Thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph. What have I to sigh about? And, and shift that atmosphere. Put that atmosphere back in its rightful place. Put that situation in its rightful place under the control of joy. So this joy is a resistance. This gladness is a resistance to the sorrow and to the mourning. The sorrow and the mourning shall flee when you have activated and accessed this gladness, this joy. So do you see why I tell you there are elements of joy that most of the believers in the body of Christ are missing out on because they only rejoice at an event. But that's happiness. The word happy is from a Latin word that hap, and it's based on what happens. So happiness is connected to what happens. Joy is not. Joy is not connected to what happens. Joy is a force, a spiritual force in the spirit of a newborn Christian, a newborn believer, if you're born again, you have a supply of joy, and it doesn't matter what happens. It can remain the same. Hallelujah. But it's a fruit, and fruit must grow. Fruit must be developed on the vine, right? And so we must become skilled in joy. We've got to become skilled in this fruit of joy so that we can have an abundant harvest and a rich harvest of this joy in our lives. And as we do, we will always be strong because joy is strength. Says the children of Ephraim, they were armed for war, but they turned back in the day of battle because their strength was small. They were armed God was on their side, but what caused them to turn back? What caused them to draw back? What caused their failure, their defeat? Their joy was joyous strength. Their joy was small. Hallelujah. So this joy is 
more than just a response to great things that happen. It's supposed to be our lifestyle. Psalm 32, 11. Let's get, let me give you a, a few uh, uh, indicators of this being a lifestyle of gladness. Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Not glad about what happens. Not, not just glad about an event. What am I glad about? You know, that's why people will see expressions of joy and they, they, what happened. Uh, well, but if my joy is being released because of who he is, then nothing has to happen for me to rejoice. Nothing has to happen because I'm training myself to release my joy, to activate my joy on him. He is the basis of my joy. I'm glad about him. I'm glad about him. I'm glad about the creator of the universe being my heavenly father. I'm glad about, I'm glad about that he sits on the throne of heaven. I'm glad about the name. I'm glad about the blood. I'm glad about the victory that's available in him. I'm glad in the Lord. Now, have you ever seen anybody and one day they're like, Wow! Got the victory! Got the victory! Got the victory! And then a few days later you see them and they're drowning and you're just dragging along. What happened to your victory? Well, the basis of their victory changed. They were happy because something happened, but then when something different happened, they didn't have the same access because it wasn't joy. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God says, I am the Lord who changes not. So since Jesus doesn't change and God doesn't change and they are the basis of my joy, my joy doesn't ever have to be at a lower level. It never has to be at a decreased proportion because the basis of my joy is God. The basis of my joy is my Lord. I am glad in the Lord. To be glad in the Lord is a, a, a skill. It is something that we practice every day. So get up and don't look and check your feelings to find out if you're going to put your smile on. Don't get up and see what's on your calendar to determine if you're going to have a good day or not. Get up and determine, I am going to be glad in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Proper protocol requires that I be glad in it. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because this is his day. This is the day he made. This day is a gift from God in my life. I am here today because of the goodness of God. So I'm going to respond correctly. I'm going to deal with this with the protocol of joy. I'm going to come into his presence with gladness and singing. Amen. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, it goes on to say. Be glad in the Lord and 
rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Psalm 6410. But wait, the word glad, I need before we go much further, because we're using glad and we want the right definition for glad. So the Hebrew word means shine with joyful brightness. Shine with joyful brightness because of his aid and protection. Hallelujah. Because of his aid and protection. Hallelujah. Why am I glad? Because he's watching over me. Why am I glad? Because he's my God and I'm his child. Why am I glad? Because of his aid and his protection, I've always got a reason to smile, a reason to be shining with joyful brightness. The word also means to take pleasure in. Take pleasure in God. Take pleasure in this relationship you have with him. Hallelujah. Be glad. Be glad. Psalm 6410. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him and all the upright in heart shall glory. That's a verb. Glory. That's, that's part of that rejoicing is glorying. The upright in heart, the righteous... Our part is to be glad in the Lord. Why wouldn't I be? (laughs) When I really think about Him. When I think about the Lord. How He saved me. How He raised me. How He filled me with the Holy Ghost. How He healed me. To the uttermost when I think about the Lord How he picked me up, he turned me around How he placed my feet on solid ground What does it make me want to do? Makes me want to do something So here's, here's an idea If I'm not glad and rejoicing and in some Way, shape, form, or fashion, expressing it, perhaps I'm not thinking about him. (laughs) Because if I really think about him, everything in my face is going to reflect what I'm thinking about. And if I'm thinking about him, I won't be frowning. If I'm thinking about his goodness, his aid, his protection, his help, he is my ever-present help in time. If I'm thinking about him, no matter what I'm facing, the, the, the Lord says, Fear thou not, for I am with you. How can you be afraid when you think about the fact that God is with you? See, what we're thinking about is affecting Our joy. And if we want to be skilled in the joy, we're going to have to keep our mind set upon him. And which will also affect our peace because he keeps in perfect peace. 
those whose mind is stayed on him. So Psalm 100, Psalm 100, verse 2. Psalm chapter 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness, shining with joyful brightness. That's how we serve him. Serve the Lord with this shining, joyful brightness because he is your help. He is your protector. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's how we serve him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with sighing. Is that what your Bible says? Well, you would think a lot of believers have that in their Bible, right? They, have, they need to put their glasses on or something because they say, come before his presence with sighing. Come before his... We're talking about proper protocol. You know, I remember there was a missionary training center here in, in, I think it was here in the Kansas City area, and they were training people to go over to Hong Kong and to some different Asian countries, and they would bring, they would, the churches would send their, their people just for this one, you know, training session because they wanted to know the culture of the different na- nations they would be going to. And so they would go and they would teach them, these are some protocols, You don't want to offend people. You're trying to win them to Jesus. You don't want to offend them. So you need to learn the protocol. You don't want to walk in this person's house with your shoes on. You might think it inappropriate for you to take your shoes off, but they think it's inappropriate for you to walk in their house with your shoes on. And you're going to offend them highly if you enter into their residence with your shoes on. Right? And so... They knowing the proper protocol of how to respond and how to carry yourself will give you an advantage because you're not going to automatically be apparent that you don't fit there, right? That you don't know. Well, this scripture is giving us protocol for the presence of God. This is how we behave in his presence. It says the redeemed of the Lord, what are they going to do? They're going to be singing. What does this say? It says that, that we come into his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. God likes, and you don't even have to be on key. I mean, you don't have to record. But he likes your voice just the way it is. He's, it says make a joyful noise. God likes it. As long as there's joy in the noise, it sounds good to him. This says in the, the Passion Translation, as you serve him, be glad and worship him. Sing your way into his presence with joy. Sing your way into his presence. The Easy to Read says, enter before him with shouts of triumph. And I like the message. It says, sing yourself into his presence. Bring a gift of laughter. I like that. Bring a gift of laughter. When you come, you don't have to come before God. And Molly Grubbs, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I mean, if you've done something that you need to repent, repent and get to the rejoicing. Thank you for your mercy. 
Thank you for the blood that washes me from what I did. Thank you, Lord. But he doesn't want the whole conversation to be gloom and doom and despair. God's, it says, bring him a gift of laughter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, when I'm teaching this, my goal is not to get you to laugh here in this service. My goal is for you to get up in the morning and respond with joy every day. To make joy a priority in your day. Because he's worthy of it. I say it this way. There's no other woman on this planet that is qualified or, or uh, appropriate to kiss my husband. No other woman is going to be kissing my husband. So I'm going to kiss him. I'm not going to make him do without just because no other woman. I'm going to make sure he doesn't lack for any kissing. Right? No other woman can compliment him the way I can compliment him. So I'm not going to withhold my compliment. I'm not going to withhold my compliment. No other people but the children of God can worship him the way we can worship him. So why would we withhold it from him? Because we don't feel like it. I'm waiting for the right song. I'm waiting for the right environment. No, listen. We set the tone of the environment. We set the thermostat of joy in our home. We set the thermostat. God is worthy of my praise. I won't withhold it from him. He's worthy of my laughter and my joy. Somebody ought to come to him glad to see him. Might as well be me. Amen. Psalm 30. God wants to dress us in, in gladness. Psalm chapter 30 verse 11 says, You have turned for me my morning into dancing. Who did that? God did that. God has turned the morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth. That sackcloth is a representation of the sadness, the sighing, the, the beat myself up, punish myself. You've put that off of me. And what has he girded us with? What kind of clothes has God put upon us? Gladness. He has girded me with gladness. He's equipped me. He's clothed me. He has surrounded me with gladness. Hallelujah. He wants that to be the atmosphere I live in. I, I don't have to take it off at night. I can just live in my glad garment. I don't have to go get my glad pants on, find my glad dress. No, I'm just going to go ahead and live in my glad garments. Because God, this is the garment God chose for me. He chose to dress me. He chose a special outfit for us. And it's the outfit of gladness. He wants us to wear gladness like a garment. It says this in Isaiah 61.3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. He wants us to wear our gladness. 
He wants us to have a garment of praise continually. Hallelujah. He chose to take off the, the, the heaviness. He chose to remove the, the sadness, the mourning, and to give us the anointing of joy and the garment of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is lifestyle that we're talking about. When he's talking about a garment... He's talking about something that I wear. He has encircled me. He has girded me. He has surrounded me, equipped me, and clothed me with this gladness. Hallelujah. Because that's where he wants me to live. That's how he wants me to dress. It's appropriate. Praise is appropriate. One, one scripture says it's becoming to the righteous. Hallelujah. This gladness is not a feeling. And that's why people miss it. They're waiting for the feeling. But spiritual forces are not feelings. Love, the love of God, it's not a feeling. It's a spiritual supply, a force. In our born-again spirit, the love of God. That's why it says love is not easily offended. That's not a feeling. Feelings get offended. Feelings get offended. But love, the love of God, the love of God in you and me, it's not easily offended. It thinks no evil of a suffered wrong. It takes no account of a suffered wrong. That's not a feeling. My feelings are going to be taking notes. Keeping records. That's why I can't live by my feelings and walk in victory. So love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, these fruits, these forces of the Spirit, we, call, we say fruit of the Spirit because God wants you to know they must be developed. Just because you have it doesn't mean you're yielding to it. You have the love of God. The Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad. The Weiss translation says poured out continually in your heart. The love of God is available, but not everybody's re re responding with that love, reacting with that love. They can have the love and still follow their husband through the house and get the last word in. They can have the love of God and still say, that girl's plucking my last nerve. Oh, no, you don't. They can still respond out of their feelings because they haven't yielded to the love. But if they'll yield to the love, that's the difference of walking in the Spirit so that you don't fulfill the desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh is to get the last word in. The desire of the flesh is to always be right. The desire of the flesh is, the, is that thing that keeps sabotaging you. But how do I stop yielding to the desire of my flesh? Walk in the Spirit. What do I do instead? Yield to love or yield to joy. If the thing that your flesh is wanting to do is to give in to that sadness, to give in to that heaviness, to, to, to baby that feel sorry for myself kind of thing, you remember Naboth's vineyard? 
Do you remember how King Ahab reacted when Naboth wouldn't sell him his vineyard? He, the king, the king crawled up in bed, turned his face to the wall and pouted. Pouted. And then Jezebel came in and babied it and petted it. You don't want to pet, feel sorry for myself feelings. You don't want to yield to them. You don't want to make room for them because it's the enemy. When, the, when, when Satan impressed upon Peter to say to Jesus, Jesus was saying, this is what's going to happen this is what's going to take place, and I'm going to die. They're going to take me. I'm going to die. I'll raise again. And Peter said, no, Lord, no. Think about yourself. Pity thyself. And Jesus responded and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because feel sorry thoughts are from the pit of hell. They want to... to Dig into selfishness, and selfishness is the root of the flesh. Selfishness. So how do I overcome it? I walk in the Spirit. I'm strong in the Spirit, which means love, joy, peace, all these fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith, these, these forces of the Spirit are going to be the way I respond. So joy must be priority. And it's not a feeling. So I don't wait till I feel joy to be joyful. But you know what? My feelings will be affected by the spiritual supply of joy that begins to build in me. As I cultivate this force, this fruit of the spirit of joy, and I every day choose the joy to be glad in the Lord, and I begin to to access that joy, and I begin to yield to that joy that's in my spirit because I'm born again. That spiritual force is going to rise up, and my emotions will become affected by the joy. Just like your emotions will be affected by the love of God in you, by the peace of God as it grows in your spirit. Hallelujah. So you, you may experience a result in the emotions, but the emotions are not the origin of your joy in your heart. You make the choice. I will be glad. And I'm going to practice my joy so that I can cultivate my joy because I want my spirit to be strong. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. 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 Notice, it says God has turned the morning into dancing. He has taken off the one to put on the other, taken off the garment of heaviness to put on the garment of praise. Hallelujah. And he's here tonight to remove what needs to be removed so that you can walk in that joy that he's designed for you. He's here tonight to strengthen you in those areas that the enemy's been depleting or the situation's been withdrawing and withdrawing and withdrawing. 
God wants there to be a, a filling back up. Jesus said, this is my desire that you have my joy and that your joy might be full. Jesus isn't satisfied with you having half tank joy. He's not satisfied with you having just a, a less than portion of joy. Jesus' desire, he, he set the standard of what he desires in our life. And he says, I desire that you would have fullness of joy. The Weiss translation says, so that you would have this joy and this, let me say it, let me read it exactly. That your joy, having been completely full, might persist in that state of fullness. No need to ever fly half tank. Watching the, watching the indicator to see how many more miles I have till empty. You know, there is an airplane that they have, they have built airplanes that can carry fuel and meet fighter jets in the air and refuel them in the air. They never have to land to get refueled. <laughs> Isn't that? So they can be flying along and say, we've only got 10 more minutes of fuel, but here comes the, the airplane full of fuel and they're going to load us back up so we don't have to land and then save this extra. We can just keep on flying and they're going to come fly next to us and refill us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You never have to be at three quarters joy. Half tank joy. Quarter tank joy. You can just live in this consistent fullness of joy. And God wants that. So if he wants it, we want it. If he wants my joy to be full and persist in that state of fullness, persist in that state of fullness, then I'm going to endeavor to every day fill up and live full all day. So if, I've, if, if rejoicing rejoice me, re means to do again. If you repaint something, it's been painted once. But you paint it again. If you refill something, it was full once, and you redo it. Re means to do again. So rejoicing is how you joy. Do it again. And so if you make a lifestyle of rejoicing all throughout the day that I'm rejoicing, not, not responding to an event, I'm glad in Him. I'm glad in the Lord. Then what's going to happen? See, some people think God's got this ego problem and he wants us to praise him. We get all the benefit from the praise. We get all the benefit from it. It's, it's, when we, it says he inhabits our praises. When we praise him, that word inhabit means to establish a throne. <laughs> when we praise, God becomes Reigning over that situation. When we worship, when we praise him, we're strengthened. We are, are refilled. Hallelujah. That's our homework. 
That's our homework. If you're here today and there has been a draining, a withdrawing, a difficulty, God wants you to leave here free and full. Free and full. Free and full. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God.